I guess over the weeks, the months, maybe the years into the future that pass, you will discover that I'm not a sportsman. You know, I don't even watch that much sport. I used to live about 150 yards from the Northampton Saints rugby ground. And I went once. It was a very good match, and the Saints won. But only went once, and that was with a free ticket. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I never got round to going to the Cobblers, um, Northampton Town football team, though some would say they don't actually play football. And my one visit to Northampton's county ground was to see an Elton John concert. So, and the same was true at school. When I was at school, I didn't play much sport. Well, we had to do PE, but I wasn't particularly good at it. You know, part of it was just my poor throwing ability or my inability to kick the ball, usually hitting somebody's shins instead. Uh, I was a bit clumsy at catching, uh, too. And certainly in the years before I had glasses, I couldn't maybe see quite right. And then once I had glasses, there was always that fear that they might get broken. So whoever had been appointed the captain and had to pick the team didn't usually pick me until the end. <laughs> you know, and, and my inability to play sport continued all the way through school and uh, in sixth year we were told, you know, we really should be doing some sport. We, di- uh, sport. we didn't have anymore but we were encouraged to go and do something so on Wednesday afternoon we had this time that was supposed to be for leisure activities and uh, I was a pupil at Lockerbie uh, at this stage and across the road from the school was the ice rink so I went to start curling and on my first attempt at curling when I was sweeping, I tripped over the broom. You know, you might think it's easy to sweep a kitchen floor, you know, or something like that, and it relatively is. But you try sliding sideways down the ice. Now, I tripped over the broom and knocked myself unconscious on the ice. And the skip took me and dragged me to the end of the ice so that they could carry on the game. (laughs) Sport was not my thing. And so I tend not to do sport. And those around me knew that I didn't do sport. 
And I guess that's true in many aspects of life. As people get to know you, they know what you can do and what you don't do. Or you're not able to do. Or you don't do it to the same ability as they want you to. And when someone applies for a job and fills in the application form or sends in their CV, their past history will be looked at. What is this person capable of? And what do they not do? What qualifications? What experience of teamwork? Do they have proven leadership skills? In the world, we look at the past and assume that the future will be the same. We look at what somebody's work experience has been and assume that the future will be the same. We look at people's lives out in society, what they've done, and we judge them on it and assume the future will be the same. But our God is the one who gives a second chance. And when we have failed in the past, he says, it's all right. Have another go. He says, it's all right. Listen to me. Trust in me. And we will do something new together. God chooses Abram to be the father of God's people. Now, if you are to go out and choose somebody to fulfill the role of father of many generations, a father of a nation, a father of a nation that will spread the word around the globe, you might have certain concepts of the sort of person that you are looking for. You know? Maybe if the person's got to have children, it might be a thing to start with, a young man full of vim and vigour, a young man that's got to go out and do things, a young man with a young wife, perhaps. Or you might choose an older person, Someone that has a lot of experience. Someone that is already a father. And maybe even already a grandfather. Or great-grandfather even. If you're going to look for a nation of children. Why not choose somebody that already has children? The starting point in human terms would not be a 75-year-old man with a similarly aged wife, neither of whom have offspring. That would just be foolishness, wouldn't it? But that's what God does 
he chooses Abram. What's more, if you're going to expect him to be faithful and spread the word around the world, then you would be looking for past evidence in their worshipful life. But although Abram is descended from Shem, a faithful son of Noah, by the time of Abram, idols and false gods were being worshipped. Abram's father, Terah, was a priest that worshipped the true God, but worshipped idols. It's thought that the people worshipped a god that was the moon. He later converts and becomes a follower of the true God and journeys closer under the influence of Abraham. But at this point of the story, Terah is an idolatrous priest. And further, if you're going to promise a new land that the people are going to want to go to, you would think that you would choose someone from a place of poverty. But the land where Abram lives is one that's got a rich, fertile soil. It's good for farming. It's not a really a place that you would want to leave. But God does things differently from what we expect. He doesn't use the normal ways that us humans do. He chooses Abram because he knows that Abram will listen and will trust and will serve his purpose in the future. It's not what he's done in the past. It's what he's going to do. For God has a plan and it will be fulfilled through using this man. God knows it's the right person. Even though he's older, he's childless, he's got false gods and comes from a rich place. He is the man. And it's because Abram is willing to go. Because he is willing to trust. Because he is an older man and his wife is older too. That God's will is seen to be done by God's power. We would not be surprised if a young couple had a child. Sometimes they're not able to. But quite often they do. And so we would not be surprised. But an older couple... Now that would surprise us and it would show God's hand upon them. God doesn't look for the same things. If you were to think of the story of David going to be anointed as king, he's not the obvious choice. He has a family of brothers that are big 
and strong and handsome and ready to serve. He has a family of brothers that will go and be in the army and be able to fight in battles. But David is the shepherd boy that's a bit forgotten about out in the field when he gets anointed. And when it comes to fighting a battle, his brothers have gone off to war. And he comes along later and isn't big enough to wear the suit of armor that belongs to the king before he slays Goliath. He doesn't go charging with a sword. He uses Goliath's sword at the end, but his normal weapon is a slingshot. He, God does things differently and uses our weakness uses our frailty to show his glory in all the circumstances that we come upon. It is his strength that can be seen clearly, not ours. And so the glory does not come to us, does not come to the weak one, but the glory goes to God. God knows what we are capable of and what can be done in his name. Not because we are perfect, none of us are. Like in that first hymn, when we sang of being like a worm. Yeah. You know? We're, we're nothing compared to God. And we're weak in the world. But God chooses us to do great things. In our weakness, his spirit may shine through. And so the kingdom can grow. But there's a problem. There's a couple of problems, actually. One is ourselves, individually, and one is other people. When God has a plan involving someone that does not conform, that doesn't appear to be big and strong and ready with the answers, we say, that can't be the right person. We say, no, you wouldn't choose him. It might be a person that had a reputation for being irresponsible. But they may have changed. Perhaps they are judged for poor attendance at church, which is due to their personal circumstances, rather than their desire to attend. Maybe it's the clothes they wear on a Sunday. Maybe it's their age. Maybe we remember how they were five or ten years ago, rather than who they have grown up to become. We judge people and say, no, God, we didn't want them. But if someone is being called or challenged by God to do something new, then we need to test that call and to explore what's happening. 
And we need to read scripture and listen for the Holy Spirit rather than trying to deduce things ourselves in earthly terms. We must not base the future on someone's past or on our personal impression of what the limit of what God might do might be. The Bible is full of God doing new things that people don't expect. And the same is true today. God does new things that people don't expect. And we have to be ready not to say no, but to say, if this is of God, then yes. The people of God must therefore not immediately reject that God would choose any individual. But the sense of that person is not good enough is often actually said by ourselves. We say, I'm not good enough. Look at the call of the prophet Isaiah. See, I can't say these words. Or of Moses. Or of Jeremiah. Or most of the other prophets, in fact. Not me. I'm not able to be that person, Lord. I'm not able to do that, is what they would say. I'm not good enough. But God knows differently. He calls each one of us to be his witnesses in the world. And that's what he intended of the descendants of Abram. When he called Abram, he said, you're going to be a father of many children. And children will be a nation. That nation will do his purpose in the world. It will share the story of God with many others. So that the whole world comes to know. We are those people today. We are, as I said in the call to worship, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. Now you might not, I suspect, have taken the salute on horse guards parade. You know? You might not have yesterday stood on the balcony at Buckingham Palace and waved to the crowd and watched as the red arrows flew over. But you are royalty. You are an heir not to the throne of the UK, but an heir to the promise of God. God thinks that each one of you are special. He loves you. And he invites you. He chooses you. And he makes you a saint. We use that term not in the way that we think of St. Peter or St. John. But each one of the followers becomes a saint. We become holy because God makes us holy. 
and he welcomes us. Not because of what we have done in the past. For we are indeed worms. But we are lifted from that. And made holy saints. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because God cares about each one of us so much. That his own son died for you and died for me and now he puts his hope and his trust in not just me but also in you that we may share his story that we may share his love. That all peoples on earth may be blessed through you. This is God's plan. This is his hope. This is why you are a chosen people. Because he loves you and he wants through you to see his kingdom grow. Amen.